What's up, everybody? This is Zach. And we are here with a very special owned. I've got Justin. We're actually in the same room for the first time in a long time. Long time. Very long time. Not the first ever. I've never met him before. This is very uncomfortable. (laughs) I didn't realize he had a beard. It's very intimidating. Uh, And we're joined by Scott from CyberArk. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. And we are separated by mere states in New England. Uh, But this is one of the closest. I guess you're you're actually down in that area, too. So this is almost like you came up here to talk back home. So that's that's an interesting dynamic. But yeah. Kind of could have poked by Scott's house. <laughs> That's true. We probably, yeah, you guys probably, it would have been garage. a lot more convenient if you two got in <laughs> yeah, the same place. Yeah, the uh, CyberArk garage recordings. Yeah. This, um, is, this, this, is a good, this is a good social distance, though. Se- That's separate true. rooms yes. for now. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll run it this way for the time being. Yeah, we're still, I'm still arm's length. Yes, exactly. we are, we're about six <laughs> feet apart. And I'm wearing a mask for extra precaution because uh, I just, you know, Justin, I can't trust him. This is the first time I've seen him. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's up with him. Yeah, didn't, didn't recognize him with the beard. <laughs> I've been growing it for the last nine months. It is looking quite intense. And yeah. uh, uh, Justin just, you know. This is the first time you've seen him via camera, but he has been uh, experimenting with different hairstyles and uh, the uh, extended mohawk. I don't know what you would call that has gotten yeah. more and more uh, rad, I guess is the way to describe it. Yeah. I'm trying to complete the Viking. It's good. Yes. Viking you, very look. Viking. Yes. Like the straight, straight 300. <laughs> um, well, well, you're and- not going to go, you're not going to go mullet. Are you? Mohawk is one thing. Mullet is yeah. an entirely different story. There was a period. Oh, oh no, it is going mullet. Okay. There was a period <laughs> where it was very mullet and he had cleaned it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And now it looks like he has some gel and something in there. So yeah, got to keep it down. Up. Otherwise no, I look like, like a porcupine. Now. All right. You are living, you're, you're, you're <laughs> sort of living in the boonies when you're up here. So it's probably good to be one with nature and uh, looking like a true uh, lumberjack mountain, mountain living uh, individual. So yep. Yep. cool. Well, now that we got that weirdness out of the way, um, <laughs> You know, uh, so this is what we were trying to do uh, with these episodes is bring in uh, some of the folks from uh, partner organizations and Scott's joining us from CyberArk, which has been a partner for a long time of New Harbor. And, um, you know, Scott, if, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and uh, maybe talking a little bit about where you came from and, and how you got to where you are. Yeah, sure. So um, so I've been at CyberArk for 12 years now, which is a, a long time in the kind of technology that we all operate in, but it's it's been a really good run for us. And I run the channel team in the Americas right now. So it's primarily the US and Canada, so more North America than anything else, although we do collaborate with the Latin American team to a certain extent. And I've had a couple of positions here at CyberArk. So I ran the Northeast sales team for a while. So Justin and I had a near miss there in an account a while back. Um, So came close to working together, but uh, uh, worked at uh, the companies we work for at slightly different times. Um, So moving from that sales position and and running a team in the Northeast, um, it made sense when I saw that we weren't quite doing everything we could do really well with the partner community. And having had some experience with that at Hewlett Packard in the past, uh, it made sense to jump over and begin to launch the channel uh, reseller team uh, here in North America. So we're up to nine channel managers across the country working with wow. uh, regional partners, uh, some of our national partners, uh, just making sure that our customers have the right coverage, really from all three sides. The CyberArk side, we certainly work with a number of the technology partners that you all work with at New Harbor. And then, of course, the relationship that we've built with you is maintained by one of those channel managers in the field. 
Um, you know, I actually started as an engineer, uh, got my degree in electrical engineering at the University of Connecticut, so always a New England guy. Um, but it was only a couple of years into that when I realized that I kind of liked that college life better. So being able to move around, <laughs> see people, talk yeah. about things like I, I love the technology angle, um, but being able to interact with people a little bit more and share my knowledge of a technology and collaborate on how to solve problems for customers is really what drove me into the sales side of things. And uh, it's been a great run ever since. Um, and like I said, 12 years at CyberArk, it's been uh, a really good run for us to starting off in privilege in the identity category. And we were one of the first, very first players mm -hmm. in privilege and then moving into a much broader uh, security play, um, but a broad identity platform, which is what uh, we provide right now. And maybe, uh, you know, kind of dig into that a little bit. So what are some of the things that CyberArk, you know, your your goals with the company to protect your clients? Yeah, great question. So, you know, privilege wasn't really understood by everyone at a prospect or a customer when we started with it 10 or 12 years ago. Um, took a while for executive leadership to figure out, hey, wait a minute, there's these admin accounts right. and system accounts that in the hands of the wrong person can do a lot of damage. So it was originally an infrastructure discussion with teams that had control of those accounts. And, and as you guys know, nobody really wanted to relinquish access to administrative accounts, but we were able to highlight both for audit, but primarily risk reasons that there needs to be some control in that category. And as we've grown around privilege and created some visibility there, our customers have driven us toward how do we cover a broader identity platform? It's it's good to put SSO and MFA in front mm -hmm. of CyberArk as a login to get to those privileged accounts. And then if you go deep in the other end, and, and you guys know this with hybrid cloud technologies, there are layers and layers of accounts and identities and entitlements that, again, in the wrong hands, can be used to do a lot of damage. So uh, looking at this more end-to-end, -end, we're driving toward how does CyberArk provide a true identity platform from that SSO live user front end all mm -hmm. the way through to IoT, multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, all those buried identities and entitlements that really still need to be managed, but you can't slow down or limit because they're so important to the velocity of companies in this very elastic environment today. Right. Scott, <clears throat> when I... um you know, kind of look back to 2008, which I think is roughly about the time you started there. Um, just a soundbite, if you can, you know, just the philosophical changes you've seen over the years of people kind of embracing the protection of, of uh, admin identities. And, and I, and I kind of ask that from the standpoint is, I mean, I've seen something similar on my side or saying initially, like looking back all those years, initially there was a ton of pushback of saying like, philosophically, we just can't clear that hurdle, but here we are fast forward, however many years and, you know, people are getting whacked severely if they don't protect these accounts. So this, yeah, I can I just ask a clarifying question as the naive individual here? So what would have been the original process, I guess, then like how, how were people sort of protecting was, was did CyberArk like really sort of create something to fill that gap or you guys just identified it and fixed that? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Zach. It was it was spreadsheets, right? If you wanted to control right. something and That's and give pretty, someone pretty access tech. to <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. I, look, spreadsheets are the root of everything. Before you figure out how to do it right, right? Yeah, so, that's true. I think we just had a uh, breach of the week about a spreadsheet that. Uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't Chowbus, was it? Yeah, 
Was that Chowbus? That was Chowbus, yeah. Uh, Chowbus. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's what we'd find, right? The infrastructure teams who owned all these systems would keep the administrative accounts, right? The ones that control everything. I mean, we all know that IT staff have access to systems and to accounts on the systems that they work on that have access to a lot of data and they need that. IT staff need to be able to get to those systems and those accounts with that level of access, but that access was controlled by people who had the usernames and passwords in a spreadsheet. And so yeah. the breaches would occur and, and and we talk about fear, right? People fear losing control over those systems and that, and that access. At the same time, none of us wants to sell on fear that a breach is going to occur. So right. we're all warning our customers, if you don't do certain things, you're at risk of this. But we want to turn that a bit and say, if you put more control in place, it certainly reduces the breach risk, but there are some positive benefits too. So the biggest fear an administrator would have when a CyberArk solution is presented to control privileged access is number one, will I get what I need when I need it? So true just in time. And then the second is, will I get that native interface that I'm used to working in? And you know that a developer, for instance, has certain things in certain colors on certain screens that allow them to produce code really quickly. If you tell a really awesome 10 times developer, right? The kind of person who works 10 times faster than anyone else, that you're going to change that interface and that kind of artistry that they work behind. They're going to tell you that they won't be able to work as quickly. So that was right. one of the original tenets of our design was how do we create something that controls that access, allows just in time, but allows people to work in the native environments that they're super comfortable in. So we achieve solving the problem that the board of directors has in a company around audit and risk. And we achieve the usage requirements of the person who's actually logging into these systems. So we, we feel we covered both of those bases pretty well. Yeah. <clears throat> the other, I mean, you, you guys know I you sit on the other side of the fence here. Um, but another component to that too, and you kind of hit on it, Scott, but just to really drive it home is like the level of accountability and transparency that you can provide with the platform is also unique because you can protect administrators from being falsely accused of something. And a specific example of saying, if you have a shared username and password that everybody has access to, and that account is abused, done something nefarious in nature, and you can't figure out who did it, it prevents the organization from falsely accusing an individual of something that they didn't do. Right. So, and and to a large degree, it you know these accounts they 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 are shared. It's just the nature of IT, yeah. right? So, um, you know, as an organization too, like you also have a little bit of a responsibility to protect the people that work from for you from being falsely accused of doing something that they didn't do. Yeah, it's a it's a great point, Justin. It it does go in both directions, and you look at what live users do. And sure, we could turn recording on for a session. You can put checkpoints in it. You can go back and look at what was done. So yeah, right. in a really sensitive session for an administrator, there is that comfort that everything they do can be tracked for their own good. But I, I talk about developers because we do get into this phase of DevOps style design. And I talked about multi-cloud and, and hybrid cloud before. You have all these different environments and as an organization, 
you have control over your own staff, but think about, again, the different layers in a cloud environment where there are administrators who are working for entirely different organizations providing these services and what level of access do they have? So for some service provider customers, it's it's a CyberArk inside kind of process. So they're telling their customers, our access to your systems as a customer of our services is managed by CyberArk. So even the end customer gets this comfort that whenever that company's staff is working on something, they know there's a control mechanism behind it. And like you said, the audit trail around all this is is awesome. So when you need to mm-hmm. go back in time and look at something, and not just to figure out if something nefarious was done, but just to figure out if something wasn't done correctly, and you want to fix it. You have right. the path to what was done, and you can look at where you can reroute those things and, and make them better in the future. Absolutely. And Justin, maybe uh, it would be helpful to sort of explain how you like how New Harbor loops CyberArk into a project or like what is the trigger? Is there always sort of that discussion or it really comes down to like a specific need? Well, for CyberArk, there's a lot of avenues that we can kind of step in to the platform. And one is just the traditional production of administrator credentials. And that's the, that's the traditional the bread case. and butter. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's the one that I, I think when people think of cyber arc, that's the one that they think of first, but um, cyber arc is much more than that. When you take a step back and you look at the breadth of the platform, there's so much more value that it provides. And so like taking, for example, another use case is like a red team, right? So Red teaming is all about privilege escalation, right? Everybody's trying to get a domain or enterprise level credentials um, so that they can you know, provide secondary attack and takeover systems. But in a case like CyberArk, um, it's constantly rolling credentials so that every time the credentials are refreshed, in the case of you know, pen testing or red teaming, our work has to start over because we have to right. re-compromise that same credential. <laughs> so... Um, it, it elongates testing, it elongates attack paths, or it just prevents it entirely. And, and I mean, I think a lot of people who are listening to this know that you can't always prevent it. A lot of times it's just delaying it um, and causing the attacker to kind of move down the street to something that's a little bit more, more profitable and better use of their time. So that's this one example. The other one that um, I actually like a lot um, with CyberArk and, you know, come another use case is their uh, endpoint protection manager. And I, I feel like that's one of the more um, underutilized platforms. So when we look across the industry, we see um, the, the industry is kind of dominated by endpoint protection solutions. They're dominated by EDR and MDR providers. But when you look at that industry as a, as a singular thing, it only tracks what's happening on the endpoint. It doesn't track what's happening to the endpoint, right? So you're saying something has to explicitly happen on the endpoint in order to get an EDR um, to, to trigger or get an MDR provider to actually be alerted to it. But really 
there's a whole host of things that happens to the left of the attack chain that are happening to the endpoint that are early indicators that something bad is going to happen on the endpoint. Right. So you can lean into it a little bit. Yeah. And so <clears throat> what the CyberArk endpoint prevention manager is like, it helps move your detection to the left. So you're picking it up sooner and you're identifying that something is going to happen as an early indicator before your EDR actually sees it. So, and that's, that's the goal with all this stuff in like the attack kill right. chain is like, you want to pick it up as early as possible. You want to pick it up as early on the left side of the, you know, kill chain as you possibly can. And so that's another example of what, you know, I see as a tremendous value with CyberArk platform. Yeah. And, and Justin, we've, we've talked about this before, but the, the CyberArk blueprint model helps to determine where one of our customers or prospects really needs to begin. So there are three different risk analyses that we can take the customer through and then decide, is it endpoint privilege manager? Is it really the privileged access solution that needs to be deployed? Or are we pushing out to automated access and robotic process automation and working with that access on the automated side? And, you know, you guys have done podcasts before on on IoT. And I, I think there was a, a story about a coffee machine that had been hacked and, uh, and, and it's a great story, right? It, there's, there's um, an interesting angle to that, but it's true, right? You know, the refrigerator examples and, and the car examples and what's built into all these systems. And, you know, you're, you're right, Justin, the endpoint is just as risky as the core systems. And when the endpoint is IOT and everything's yeah. got some sort of processing behind it and is self-aware or is aware to the other systems, there's a lot of different entry points for attackers. So whether it's a shift left or it's going deep into those systems, that blueprint analysis that we would do will help the customer understand working with, with you at New Harbor exactly where they should begin. And the most recent acquisition we made was Adaptive, right? So this is where yeah. we get into the SSO and the MFA side and it starts to build that end to end, go deep if you need to on the cloud and the development side. But as you said, shift left and start on the front end where risks often begin. And I think you made the point, Justin, about lateral movement, right? An attacker can get in almost anywhere. Once they start moving around, it's difficult to see where they're going. Yeah. And once they get to that system that they can elevate or escalate privileges on, that's when it's game over for the, uh, for the end customer. Yeah. Scott, can you talk about the blueprint process a little bit more? I mean, it's, it's an impressive process that you guys have kind of set up to derive requirements for someone, but for someone that you know, has never heard of Blueprint, how, how would you describe it to someone? Yeah, so there's a couple different dimensions to it. We, we look at it first in terms of risk reduction, right? So you heard me talk before about audit findings. And in the early days, it was often an audit finding that would drive the need for a privileged access management solution. But now we have these conversations with business managers and business owners and CEOs about risk. And so we look at it in terms of three modes on, on Blueprint. Can the credentials be stolen, number one? thing would be stolen. Let's protect against the theft to begin with. Mm -hmm. Number two, and I just mentioned this, how laterally can an attacker move when they get in? How far can they jump from system to system? And if we can lock them to a single system, if they do get in, then we're preventing that lateral, lateral right. and, and eventually vertical movement. And then there's escalation and abuse, outright abuse. So there's a lot of reasons why an attacker, either from inside the company or from outside the company, would use escalation to get to their end target. Sometimes it's just they want to do damage to the company. Oftentimes there's that payload that they're really trying to achieve. We all know the bank account and credit card examples, 
But those are the three dimensions to the risk reduction, the credential theft prevention, the lateral movement, and the escalation. And then we take those three modes of risk reduction and we map them to the stages of privilege management. And that's where we talk about, are we just securing IDs all the Mm -hmm. way to, is it a fairly mature organization that just needs some shoring up here or there? And then how do we build it into the fabric? How is it a part of the daily use of an end user who doesn't even know that privilege management is there? Back to the example of the administrator who wants to work the way they like to work, and they've got something that allows them to do that. So um, th- there's a diagram that um, we, we go through where we kind of map out where the customer or the prospect is today and what their highest priority is. And that, that diagram or that chart is made up of those two dimensions, risk reduction, risk reduction and the stages of privilege management. Yeah. It's um when I when I first saw Blueprint for the first time it it's it's was really eye-opening to me. I I actually really enjoyed it a lot. Um and it's it's kind of a nice way to think about um cyber protections and, like across the whole like it's just a good yeah, process. You know, and I you know, I mean, talk to customers all day. <laughs> um and and one of the things that people really struggle with is saying like, no, like the topic area is huge. Right. Where do we start? How do we mitigate the most amount of risk? And it's like, well, I think that's what scares people away from actually doing anything. Most of the time is it's like too daunting to even begin. Like if you don't know what you don't, it's like you have your, you know, the Donald Rumsfeld quote, you have your, your known knowns, your unknown knowns and your unknown unknowns. And when you've got, uh, if you don't start with something, it's like, um, I use this analogy with a lot of different things when you're talking risk reduction, like you're so scared, like, you know, you, you find, uh, uh, you know, you're not feeling well and you're like, you're so scared that you're sick or you have cancer that you don't go to the doctors. Yeah. Cause if you find out, then you know, you've got it. And it's like, well, yeah, but you could go and prevent it. If you go and get checked, like it's right there, like just go do it. And so I guess having like a process like this early on, and especially if you can sort of take that off of the client and it's for small companies that maybe don't have capacity to even yeah. really start risk reduction. Cause they're just trying to keep their heads above water. Like that's a pretty good first step. Yeah. Well, and we also hear people say like, you know, they take the crawl, walk, run right. yeah, approach yeah. to things. And I'm like, there's a point where I'm like, you have to stop crawling. <laughs> like the marathon started, people have passed you. They're like, they're halfway done with a marathon. Get up. Yes. <laughs> like at least start walking, like do something. Yeah. And so, um, I feel like these processes, like kind of the prescriptive step-by-step for risk management pushes out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, it gives people the confidence to stand up, start walking, maybe pick it up to a brisk jog. And it could be evidence (laughs) that like, Hey, it actually is time to invest in this. Like now we've, you know, before we suspected there was weaknesses and now we've got it on paper and here's how we can at least take the first swing at it. And I get like incrementalism, like if you don't have a huge budget and you're trying to just chip away at it, it can be really hard. But um, yeah, it's, it's that whole, I mean, humans just, they're not good at assessing risk. I mean, we we're literally living in a perfect example of that as we speak. Um, well, 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 Justin, yeah, you, you, you called it out before when you, when you talked about red team, right. And, and Zach, you just said people don't know what they don't know. And, and we can do this, attack, defend simulation, right? Where we actually put people in a room and have half of the group be attackers, right? And we can look at the different scenarios, Justin, that that you referred to before. And then half of the room are defenders and they'll use CyberArk solutions to actually see how they can defend against those attacks. But the cool part is 
we, we switch them, right? So you get to be red team for a while and then you get to be the defender for a while. So it's, it's kind of cool to see how the different attacks happen. And, and that becomes eye-opening, Zach, back to your point about yeah. you need to be as proactive as you can. But if you don't understand how these things happen, then it can be hard to be the defender without actually being in the shoes of the attacker sometimes. So it's a great modeling effort. And, you know, in a time when everyone's sick of WebEx's and teams meetings and hey the podcast is a great thing but the <laughs> attack defend uh, yeah. where you're actually putting someone in the scenario and and having them do some real work to understand how this all happens is is kind of cool so it's kind of a shift from what we've all been stuck doing for the past seven or eight months yeah i think uh so my previous life was uh emergency response and disaster response and I think especially uh, I'm a big fan of exercise and training cycles, right? Like you got to sort of test, you have a plan, uh, but a lot of people will make the plan and then they stop there. They're like, well, we have the plan now. So if something happens, we can just use the plan. But until they actually like run the plan through something and you're like, whoops, that plan was awful and it doesn't accomplish anything. uh, Then it's, you you have to have that. Like, I mean, you know, humans are just, we're, we're, we're still, you know, very much, tangible learners. Like we want to see it and feel it. And um, again, not every company maybe has like a a CISO that's, you know, able to sort of translate to, you know, the rest of the C-suite, how does this get accomplished? And so if you can sort of show that in some useful manner, that's where you start to have inroads. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm relative, like, I'm like the low end of the technical knowledge in this space here. So I learn a lot just through like pure naivety. <laughs> and so like, often it's just like, oh yeah, like why would, wh- like, why don't we do that? Like, that's so weird that companies don't think to do that. But, you know, I mean, I've worked in, in technology, I've mostly on end users support and like for a while. And it was like, oh yeah, like how else would you know that? Like, if you don't see it, you wouldn't know it. So mm-hmm. I, I like, I really like that. And uh, we had talked to uh, Andrew from CyberArk about that. And, you know, it was, it just sounds like a really interesting, cool process and it's a good way to visualize it, but, um, and sort of maybe segueing into like, what's next, you know, like, especially like we're in a really weird time right now with the pandemic. Uh, we've probably had the biggest shift in, I mean, certainly the cyber industry, I would say maybe ever there's finally buy-in from almost everyone because, you know, it, it's doesn't just hit you at the office. Like you're in your house and you're like, well, am I like protected here? Like, and how do I get into my stuff at the office? And everyone's distributed. And Justin kept using this term. Uh, what is it like the, the VPN denial of service attack? Like, you know, all these companies that <laughs> thought they were prepared for it. And then when the flip switch or the switch flip, the flip switched, yeah. The flip switched switch, the flip switch. Uh, you know, all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God, like this is this, we were not, we thought we were ready, but we weren't ready. And so I'm curious how like the current situation maybe is driving you. And what are some things that you see on the horizon? You talked about internet of things. Uh, we like 5g. If you want to talk 5g about anything, we're really trying to dig into that. Cause it's just, that is obviously it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, who knows what it actually is. Every time I hear different descriptions of it, it's, it's a physical thing. It's a philosophical thing. And, uh, but it's everywhere. We, we are now connected to things everywhere in, in our lives. I mean, literally, you know, you talked about the coffee maker, my refrigerator tells me when the door, it'll send me a, a push notification that my refrigerator door is open. Or if I need to get in touch with you, I'll just text your fridge. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah, more you, milk. You, yeah, you I can do that. I can set that up. That's what's crazy. <laughs> it's convenience, though, right? Like we're like we're not cha- getting away from this, right? It's only going to get more. So how, how maybe how are you guys trying to lean into some of those areas that are like kind of scary? Yeah, you, you you mentioned 5G, and and of course we've got to watch out for 5G because we we may believe that that caused the coronavirus. Was that one of the things? <laughs> that, that is rumor. Yeah. That is one of the many. The yeah, real some crazy rumors. Stuff. Yeah, faster. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's it's a it's a good foundation, a great technology for allowing people to do anything anywhere. And and Justin, you talked earlier about Endpoint Privilege Manager, and there are actually two solutions that we jumped on. So you talk about flipping the switch, Zach. Um, we went from more of a core privileged access model immediately to our Alero solution for remote workers and our endpoint privilege manager, because yeah, all the endpoints went home. So now you've got the coffee maker in the fridge and the company laptop in the same room in the kitchen. And is that company laptop really protected? And Justin, you made the point VPN is not enough. So those two solutions are the ones that flew off the shelves for us, Alero and EPM when everybody moved to a remote mode. But we, we also created some awareness on the issues around endpoints because back mm-hmm. to your earlier points, Justin, there are a lot of endpoint solutions that can monitor what's happening on an endpoint system, but there's still a lack of control on privilege. Yeah. And the one thing that, that the work from home um, move has proven to us is the endpoints are as risky an entry point for an attacker um, as as anything else might be in a big corporate system. So um, an awful lot of of that, and it, it kind of spun our our perspective a bit on have we really done enough to help our customers there? And those two solutions, Alero and EPM, are the ones that that address that requirement. So we're sort of like now into what we what we sort of are dealing with that we weren't maybe necessary. Like we're, we're kind of stepping into the future cause we didn't have a choice. Right. Um, but like, we're likely to, I, I don't think things are going to go back. So, you know, like the distributed uh, employees that that's here for keeps uh, for a lot of companies. I think I just saw Facebook is now pushed uh, their return dates out to midsummer next year. Um, and I believe Twitter now has basically said, if you want to work from home forever, you can. So, so some of these, uh, things that were previously like nice to haves and New Harbor had a pretty generous work from home policy before, um, you know, we're still right now, we're kind of in between, like we can work from the office. There actually has been more people in the office over the last few weeks than I think I've seen since I've been here. But what are the things that like you guys are looking for even out beyond the horizon now, like what is next? Like we, we sort of talked about 5g, you know, to degree, but you know, that's, that's the reality. Like the smart, like all these things are going to start to have more meaningful purpose, right? Like my smartwatch is a nice to have, but at some point that's going to be a medical device and it's going to report to a hospital and that's going to be connected to another system and it's going to track me and blah, blah, blah. So like it's going to get only more progressive. So how are, how are you all maybe trying to like lean into that? Yeah. We, we talked about internet of things before and, and one of um, one of the aspects of all of these devices being so smart is that there are accounts and entitlements and privileges in them. Um, It's the only way any system can run. And then the question is who has access to that and what becomes privileged and, and has access to even more 
automatically. And, and again, back to my hybrid cloud and multi-cloud examples, you've got these core data centers that have a number of different processes running. Well, those processes in those data centers are connecting to all these devices we have. And, and Zach, you just made the point, if you're wearing a watch that's got sensitive health data about you, the last place you want is for that data to end up somewhere outside of between you and the hospital that needs that information or your doctor's office. So the layers of protection around these devices are somewhat unknown. And and we're back to that mode where I said before, an infrastructure team was responsible for privilege and the audit and board of directors, audit team and board of directors at that company didn't really understand. Well, now we've got these devices that are everywhere and privilege exists in everything. And so we're working to help everyone understand that there is privilege and the ability to escalate, which is of course what an attacker wants in all these devices. And the fact that data is now everywhere. You used to be able to protect your bank account username and password and whatever information about those bank accounts or your finances you had on your own PC, but it's all in bits and pieces in lots of different places. So back to how do we control access to an endpoint, extend that to internet of things and everything else that's out there. And there are these new risk layers, the data certainly that you want protected, but also an attacker's Mm -hmm. methods of getting in And then to my point earlier about lateral movement, the entry point is one thing. We want to shift left on that, as you mentioned, Justin, but the movement's going to happen once the attacker's in the door. And if it's a thing the attacker gets in on and we're not watching that thing, then it's uh, it's access that we don't want out there. Now, when when I think about IoT also in IoT type connections, it's not only about access, it's about authorization as well. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times that's something that people overlook and saying on the surface, it's really easy to like, like classify something as privilege protection, but also needs to go a little bit deeper and say, you need to have like protection around authorization too, is saying just because you can access doesn't mean you can actually transact and do stuff. You know? So maybe, exp- okay, sorry, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. So maybe are you saying like, so for instance, they get into the watch, but can the watch open the door? Exactly. So um, a, a real Easy example. Actually, I'm going to take a step back. So when you look at NIST, right, um, computer control, security controls, um, access and authorization are two different things. Yeah. Um, an easy example of that would be online banking. I have access to online banking, but I am only authorized to see my own account. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Right. So when you're designing systems, you have to have the forethought of saying, what should the user be authorized to do? And oftentimes that's an afterthought because the only thing people worry about is the front end authentication, but right, it a- starts flat, right? Cause it's a smaller platform. So we know everyone who's in the system and then yeah. like it grows. And the challenge we have with IOT type devices is a lot of times they're, they're just dumb devices right. just or- transacting like whatever you send to them. <laughs> I mean, or- like my light strip that is just it's funny. You- it's supposed to be like a smart device, but right. it's called this, whatever. <laughs> can edit that out. But, uh, <laughs> no, but, no. but anyway, they're, they natively will accept any transaction right. that you send to them. So um, when you look at those devices, what's in the IOT market today is smart, dumb device. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like they, don't, they don't have that level of uh, to discern authorization. Like that has to occur upstream. There has to be something brokering that authorization to pat, to validate and say, this is a good transaction. It is authorized. We're going to pass it to that device that device will respond. Right. And that's, 
that's the component that I feel like is often overlooked when it comes to, you know, access management, privilege management, especially with some of the stuff that I'm sure you guys are doing now with adaptive, you know, the ability to do is like you have the ability to control all those authorization components as well. I mean, you, you could too with a core cyber platform, but you can do it more extensively now. Yeah, it's that. It's it's the the products that CyberArk provides. But when when you look at all these different devices and systems, and yeah, you get through the access and the authorization layers, there are then a number of third parties, whether they're security solutions or they're products that just exist in technology environments to create the acceleration that every every customer wants. Um, and and you do a lot of work, Justin. That your company does with all these different technologies, getting them to work together securely is a big part of what we do together. So there, there is this C-cubed organization at CyberArk that looks to how do we make sure that all these interfaces that we would work with in the privileged dimension, but in wrapping security around all these technologies together, we've somehow managed. And so obviously working with you on, on some of the top technologies for our joint customers, we've found that way to make sure that even though that other product or solution is delivering exactly what the customer wants, we've got a way to make sure that we take care of the access mm-hmm. and the authorization to it and, and manage privilege at the same time. So there is this concept of let's make sure we get all of the solutions working together. I talked about that in the beginning, right? It's it's all three of us. It's CyberArk working with New Harbor and then with some party of uh, third party, of course, to make sure that the customer gets what they mm-hmm. need. So a lot of focus on that for us too. Yeah. Great. This is good. Yeah. So I think uh, we we will end there with the uh, you know caveat that maybe there'll be some future discussions on this because uh, I think we just barely scratched the surface in some of these topics. And I mean, obviously we did. There's, I'm sure CyberArk is more dimensional than a 45 minute conversation. Uh, but Scott, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, I, as the uh, the dumbest guy in the room, got to learn a lot today. So that's good. No, that's, um, that, that, that is my claim. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, thank you for coming on and, uh, we look forward to, uh, continuing to work with you and, and hopefully learn uh, more. We'll have, we're going to have uh, Brandon on, uh, later, uh, discussing more specifically how you all have addressed like significant, uh, breaches to, to support clients in that process. So, uh, which we're excited about. We really like, uh, uh, learning about people's bad mistakes. So breaking stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Brand- Brandon's awesome. That's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, thanks for having me, Justin, Zach. It was, it was awesome. Great. Great to yeah. get to spend some time with you guys. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks, Zach. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. <laughs>